Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. If you've had any trouble trying to get an at-home COVID test, you're not alone. Major retailers are sold out of the at-home tests, and medical supply vendors can't find enough kits for schools, shelters, and nursing homes. They are popular, results in just minutes, but finding one has been an issue. Obviously, these tests have been in short supply. Pharmacies have put limitations on the number that consumers can purchase at one single time. That's David Lim, who reports on all things testing for Politico. And he says that problem might soon be coming to an end. I think the bottom line is that recent developments indicate that there is going to be increased supply of these COVID-19 at-home tests in the coming months. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, David Lim on what a new testing push from the Biden administration could mean for you and me and what we all should know about testing at home. So the Biden administration is announcing that they are making an additional investment into at-home COVID-19 test mm-hmm. that they believe will help contribute to a quadrupling of the available supply of these tests by around mid-December. They also believe that previous investments and a recent emergency authorization of a new COVID-19 test from a company called Acon Laboratories will help the country achieve a tripling of the current market by early November. So there's a big investment in at-home testing How much of a game changer could this be? Like, what will the real world effects look like? Does it mean everybody is able to have like a a good stock of COVID tests at home? Kids are going to be able to be like tested daily at school. What sort of effect do you think this could actually make? That's a great question, Jeremy. I think you have to ask yourself where these tests are going to be used and how many there are. So what the administration has told me is that they aim to have about 200 million rapid at-home COVID-19 tests being produced per month by December. Hmm. So that basically means there will not be one at-home test for every American in a given month. Hmm. But what one has to keep in mind is that at-home COVID-19 tests are only one tool in the testing toolbox. There are also millions of PCR tests, which are usually conducted at a laboratory, as well as professional antigen tests, which can be used at the point of care that don't really um, fall into that at-home category. Uh-huh. So altogether, you, I think it remains to be seen really what the availability of uh, COVID-19 testing will look like um, once you take into account all those different types of tests. And another thing that might change is how the COVID-19 pandemic itself looks like um, over the next few months. If cases continue to go down, we might see adequate number of uh, tests being available. But if, if we see a sustained number of infections, I think many public health experts would argue that there aren't enough rapid tests to meet the demand even with this additional investment. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about that because I was I was just reading a New York Times analysis that looks at how difficult it can be right now to get one of those at-home tests. And they pinned some of the blame for that on the FDA, essentially saying the agency focused its attention too much on 
the PCR tests that you mentioned, those tests that, you know, you'll often go to a testing site to get um, and then you'll wait a few days for your results to come like by phone or by email or something. Do you agree with that take on this situation? So I think it's important to kind of look at what the criticisms of the Food and Drug Administration are. And they often center on this idea that if the agency only had a lower standard for the rapid tests that they allow on the market, these at-home tests, that there would be numerous amounts of these things available to Americans to use on a daily or even more frequent basis. A lot of people point to um, strategies that the United Kingdom and Germany have employed to really get these tests out there. Mm -hmm. But in terms of those tests that are being used in those countries, one has to look at some of the uh, actions that the Food and Drug Administration has taken. Um, One test that's being used um, in the UK is this test developed and used by Inova, a company named Inova. And the Food and Drug Administration, a few months back, issued a rather scathing warning letter raising concerns about where those tests were actually being manufactured and the quality of those tests. Mm. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And then other FDA sources have also pointed out to me that in recent weeks, Germany has actually taken some of the rapid tests that they were relying on off their market. Um, So I think that there's a conversation that is a little bit more nuanced about where the appropriate standard is for the reliability of COVID-19 testing um, when uh, Americans are using these tests at home. That's interesting. Another thing that recently happened, um, on Friday, a company named Illum announced that there were manufacturing problems with their at-home COVID-19 test. Yeah, it's a recall. If you have an at-home COVID test, you may want to make sure it's not on the recall list. A diagnostic company, Elum, has issued a voluntary recall for specific lots of its at-home COVID-19 tests because it's been giving a lot of false positives. And you really have to wonder if there was a lower quality of COVID-19 test and these types of results, these false positives or potentially even false negatives were more frequent what the impact would be on public trust in the ability of COVID-19 tests. One has to balance their desire to have more COVID-19 tests on the market with the reliability of the tests that people are using to make decisions in their everyday lives. I want to talk a bit more about the accuracy of the rapid tests that are available right now and and that the FDA has deemed usable in the U.S. Um, Because at the end of the day, rapid tests are just like on the whole less accurate than PCR tests, right? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) There is, I think, ongoing debate about what the appropriate role of at-home test is. Some proponents are very vocal and basically say these tests are effective at detecting infection when people are Mm -hmm. the most infectious and therefore a critical tool to stop spread of COVID-19. Essentially you're going to get your result back within minutes and you can immediately take steps to isolate from other people and that can help break the chains of transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, the Food and Drug Administration currently has a policy in place for most of its at-home tests, which basically says, hey, to mitigate against the accuracy concerns with these tests, you should take one test on one day and then on a different day, you should take that an- another test. So that's the reason that you have Binax now 
um, in two packs, essentially being sold to consumers. However, I kind of question how many Americans are actually using that test in that manner. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask because uh, this is purely anecdotal, but like I know people who came into contact with someone who had COVID, tested themselves with a rapid test, tested negative, but then a few days later were sick. And I mean, that makes me curious. Like if we do mostly just rely on on rapid tests, it's possible that people can think they're negative, but be like pre-symptomatic and, and spreading, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's a concern with all types of COVID-19 tests. I think if you remember back to the earlier days of the pandemic, um, there was this recognition that you can be asymptomatic for up to two weeks. Uh-huh. I think with the Delta variant, there's some evidence to suggest that that time period is a little shortened. Mm-hmm. But you can still test uh, negative on a certain day and then develop symptoms on a different day. And I think people really need to build that into their uh, behavior when evaluating it uh, after a close contact, if they can, you know, go to a party or go to a restaurant, um, mm-hmm. you know, be a responsible member of society to kind of cut the chain of transmission. Well, speaking of parties and stuff, um, I've heard about a number of events doing things like in addition to requiring that people are vaccinated, having people get rapid tested at the door and on the whole, that sounds really safe. But I mean, I- I'm just curious, like, is that a, a sure thing safety measure um, to be doing that, especially if the people, you know, coming to the event and are getting tested at the door have already been to a number of locations with possibly infected people before that? Yeah. So I think an- another thing that public health officials really have emphasized over the past two years is that nothing is going to be a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a number of steps that people can take to ensure the safety of themselves and those around them. And that can include getting fully vaccinated against COVID-19. It can include wearing a mask when you're in crowded situations, especially indoors. And it can include uh, COVID-19 testing to, you know, add that extra layer of protection um, when you're entering, um, you know, a, a situation like you described. David Lim, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. David Lim authors the Prescription Pulse newsletter. You can sign up at politico.com slash newsletters or find a link in our show notes. Also today, the Biden administration is closing in on a nominee to lead the Food and Drug Administration. That's according to four people familiar with the process who spoke with Politico The FDA has been run by acting commissioner Janet Woodcock since Biden took office in January, but Woodcock's days are numbered. By law, she can only stay as the agency's temporary chief until mid-November. Whoever takes the job will inherit a workplace burned out from the workload imposed by the COVID response. And Richard Donahue, formerly the Justice Department's second-in-command, has appeared for a closed-door interview with the select panel investigating January 6th. Two sources familiar with the matter tell Politico he spoke with the panel on Friday. The interview is one of the panel's first and comes as investigators accelerate their probe of the events leading up to the insurrection. Donahue's tenure at the Justice Department in the final days of the Trump administration has drawn scrutiny from lawmakers as they explore the former president's attempts to pressure the department to interfere in the 2020 election. 
Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Tune in later this morning for Politico's 2021 Defense Forum, featuring conversations with lawmakers and experts about redefining American power in a new world. Find more on that at politico.com slash events or in this episode's show notes. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.